0: You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Will you pray with me? Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, as we come to your word, we pray that you would speak to us and that you might make us into the people you have called us to be, the family of God. In Jesus' name, amen. We come to the end of our preaching through 1 Thessalonians, and we have only scratched the surface. In fact, I'm not going to get to nearly everything that I ought to get to today because of time. And uh, for those of you who pay attention to these sorts of things, you will notice that this reading is not part of our normal lectionary this morning. But I've included it so that we can round off the series. And this is the reading that is set for the third Sunday in Advent. And so consider it a movable feast. Further... Uh, It's very easy to get to the end of of a book of the Bible and to simply gloss over it. I don't know if that's ever happened to you where you sort of soldier along through a book of the Bible and you get to the end and you see a heading like Final Instructions and Benediction and you think, I can just sort of breeze through this or I'm not going to give it the same attention that I have given everything else. And like when the benediction is often pronounced here, that's your cue to pack up your things and get ready to go home. However, like in 1 Thessalonians, we find that some of the best things come last. Paul, when writing to a church, always shows concern and care over how they are to live together, how they are to walk together. And finally in this last chapter of 1 Thessalonians he turns his attention to the fellowship of the Christian church. Is what Paul is writing this morning a description of the Advent or do we need the same sort of encouragement that the church in Thessalonica did? More precisely Does the church of God see itself as the family of God as it's described by Paul here in chapter 5? After all, in verses 12, 14, 25, 26, and 27, Paul uses the term brothers or in the Greek rendered brothers and sisters. He wants to emphasize, I'm writing to you as a brother to my brother. I'm writing to you as a brother to my sister. I want you to know that our relationship is not just acquaintances. We don't just go to church together, but we're part of the same family. And in many ways, the family that God gives us through the church is more intimate, is closer, is deeper and even some of our family relationships that we were born into, especially if what you hold in common with your church family is a belief in the Lord Jesus Christ, but your biological family doesn't. And so Paul here is telling us that the church is a family where we're brothers and sisters to one another. And he starts this morning by talking about the relationship that we have to leaders in the church, and then he goes on to talk about relationships that we have with one another as brothers and sisters, and finally, the relationships of brothers and sisters to God himself. Well, in the first instance, he talks about how should a congregation relate to the elder, to the presbyter, to the priest that has been placed over them. Now, there are many metaphors in the Bible to describe God's church. Elsewhere, it's described as a body, a flock, here a family. And in each of those instances, something has a role of leadership or someone has a role of leadership. So with the body, there's a head. With a the flock, there's a shepherd. And with a the family, there's a sort of parent over the church body. Earlier on in chapter 2, Paul actually compares his ministry in Thessalonica to one of being a mother. And he uses very maternal language to talk about the ministry that he's had among them. He goes so far as to say that you have become very dear to us. And I'm like a mother to you. I, I, I care for you in a way that a mother would care for you. And every church that is planted and spoken of in the apostolic age, that age in which Paul and the other apostles ministered, had leadership over it. They were elders who were ordained and set apart for this work of spiritual leadership. So what does Paul say about them and how should we relate to them? Well, the first thing he says is that you should respect those who labor among you who labor among you. The first thing Paul says is, you know what? Spiritual leaders are supposed to work really, really hard. Right? It's not the impression that some people get that, you know, Andrew, you work one day a week. That must be pretty great. But in fact, the word that he uses here for labor is the same word used elsewhere to talk about manual labor, strife, toil, struggle, He uses the same word to talk about the work of a farmer who labors and labors and labors to produce a harvest. The task of leadership within the family and the fellowship of God is not of one enjoying privilege or status of office but is one of taking up the responsibility as Paul himself describes working harder than anybody else in the congregation. And what the church needs and God asks for is that we have individuals who are willing to give themselves wholly over to the work of the gospel. And that laziness is a disqualification from this office. The second way that Paul describes leaders in the church is that they are over you in the Lord. Now, I think that everybody was probably tracking with me when they're like, yeah, Andrew, you should work really hard. But now, all of a sudden, we're talking about admonishment. And let's face it, nobody likes to be admonished. No one looks forward to it. No one says, it's Tuesday, today's admonishment day. And this could be troublesome for us. We live in an egalitarian society, and most of us are used to having our own way. And certainly... There are those who have served as spiritual leaders who have abused their authority or failed to exercise it in accordance with God's word in other areas. But the kind of admonishment that Paul is talking about here is the same that he talks about in 1 Timothy 3 where he talks about someone who is in the office of elder needs to be able to manage their household. Right? Somebody's got to run this operation. Somebody's got to lead. And sometimes that means leaning into people's life and and going in those areas that we would rather not talk about. But it's all done through the lens of care and concern. Jesus himself gave us that model of it. That's why Paul says, "In in the Lord. So in Mark chapter 10, Jesus says, for the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. If there's any uniform for someone who would take on spiritual leadership in the life of the church, it's not special clothing, it's not epaulettes, it's, it's not even this. It's, a, it's an apron. It's an apron because the one who is to lead spiritually has to do that through being a servant in the Lord in the same way the Lord Jesus Christ has done that. That's the distinctive feature of Christian Leadership. And yet, we still have an unwillingness to be admonished, and there's an unwillingness on the part of those who are spiritual leaders to admonish. Dwight Moody often called D.L. Moody, was a great preacher in Chicago in uh, the latter part of the 19th century. And he had a giant congregation. He was one of the most famous people in the entire world. And one morning, he was making his way through a park in Chicago to preach that morning at the tabernacle where he served. And he spied in the park a man sleeping on a park bench. And clearly, my man had had a big night the night before. And he was dressed nicely, Moody said, which meant that's not really where he was supposed to be, but he was just kind of recovering from the night before. And so Moody plopped down on the bench at his feet, and Moody said to him, good morning. The man opened up one eye and kind of grunted, and Moody said, can I ask you a question? The man grunted again, and he said, can I ask you, where do you stand with the Lord Jesus? The man opened up both his eyes and started to lift up a little bit and he said, Who are you and what business is it of yours where I stand with the Lord Jesus? And Moody said, Well, my name's Dwight Moody. And the man said, Well, I guess it is your business. See, Moody was willing to have that conversation with a man that he didn't even know because it was his business. A pastor ought to know his flock and be willing to pastor that flock. And in order to do that, he has to know his sheep. In the same way that the sheep know the voice of the good shepherd, the shepherd needs to know the sheep in their flock. I've talked to many a friend who's in spiritual leadership about the dread that they've encountered when stepping into the pulpit to preach a funeral sermon. And as they preach the sermon they felt like they knew the person who had died. They were active members in their congregation. But as they began to preach, a sudden fear came over them when they realized that they actually didn't know where the person stood spiritually. They knew they were active. They seemed to be faithful. But they had no idea where that sheep that had been given them stood with the Lord Jesus Christ. And so although we might have an unwillingness in our own hearts to allow a spiritual leader to admonish us, certainly spiritual leaders should overcome their own fear and be willing to go there for the sake of the sheep, for the sake of the people that God has given a pastor to love. And Paul asks, well, what is the response of the family of God to these leaders? Paul says, esteem, Respect and love. Now, I feel like y'all love me and respect me and esteem me most of the time. Uh, but when we're being admonished by someone, that's when it really comes through how we feel about our spiritual leaders. When I was in seminary, I had made a commitment to do something and ended up not following through on my commitment. And uh, as such, it caused a little bit of turmoil within the life of the college. And I had plenty of excuses as to why I didn't fulfill my word. But when I was called to the principal's office, I knew what I was about to hear. And while I stood, sat there in front of the principal, the principal, I could tell, was very anxious and very nervous. And he began to tell me, Andrew, you know, we were really depending on you for this. And I know that there are plenty of reasons why it might have been too much for you. Uh, But we were depending on you, and it's really important when you get into pastoral ministry that you be a man of your word. And he could read it in my eyes that I was thinking to myself, man, this guy's serious. He's sort of blowing this out of proportion. It's really not that big a deal. And he broke eye contact with me, and he kind of looked down, and he said, I just want you to know I'm telling this for your own good. And I look back on that moment with great shame. And he was right. And he was a man who was trying to admonish me and love and to help me get to where I needed to go and to help instill in me uh, that I need to be a man of my word, not just as a pastor, but also as a Christian believer, or if I have to back away from a commitment that at the least I should be honest and, and ask for help. And this is the very thing that Paul is telling us to avoid. It is a very bad place to be in spiritually when we are unteachable. It's the very thing the author of Hebrews warns us about. So long as it is today, so long as you hear the voice of the Lord, hearken unto him and do not harden your hearts because admonishment, whether it be from the Lord or whether that be from a fellow parishioner or whether it be from a spiritual leader, is meant to restore you to fellowship and to point you toward the Lord Jesus Christ. And not only does it take great courage to speak words of truth into the lives of our brothers and sisters, but it also takes great humility on our part in order to receive it. Secondly, Paul tells us that our relationships to one another are of great importance in the life of the church. There are leaders in the church of God, but there are also other family members. Paul writes to us, And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all, see that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. The pastoring of a family and in the church is not the sole responsibility of the leadership. That's biblical. That's what Paul is talking about here. That actually, yes, you have a spiritual leader over a congregation, but the call to pastor is a call that is on each and every single one of us. We're to care for one another. We're to encourage one another. We're to administer the gospel to one another. We're to forgive one another. We're to admonish one another. We're to encourage one another on. COVID has shown me that there are just too many of y'all. It's very difficult for those who are ordained and set apart to actually pastor everyone in this congregation in the way that Paul is talking about here. I mean, for me, I've seen the importance of small group Bible studies in the life of our congregation because that's really where pastoral work happens. You know, when there's a loss in the family or when you're struggling with work or when you're struggling in your marriage or when there's a birth of a child or whatever it might be, it's the people in your small group who are showing up with the casserole. They're the ones praying for you. They're the ones praying with you. They're the ones speaking God's word into your life. And that's exactly what Paul says is supposed to happen in the life of the congregation. Because if you're waiting for just the one guy up front in order to do all that for you, you're not going to like me very much. But in fact, we need to be doing that for one another. And how do we do this? Well, he tells us, Admonish the idle, encourage the faint hearted. I need that right now. I think all of us are a bit faint hearted. Help the weak. You see the vulnerability that's required in the life of the church? All of us would like everyone else to think that we're strong, but in fact, the default position of a human being, and certainly the default position of a Christian, is that we're weak. And we're called to help one another, not just to ask, hey, do you need help, but to actually go into their lives and pastor them and to say, I know you didn't ask me to do this, but I got someone to clean the house for you. I got someone to mow the lawn for you. I made you this meal. Be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seeks to do good to one another and to everyone. Are these things that mark out our fellowship? Are these family characteristics that the world sees? What does the world think when they look at us? Do they say, see how they love one another? Do we care for one another in this way, which is God's call on our life? And if we're honest, we need it desperately. When I was at St. Helena's in Beaufort, Easter was always a big to-do, as it ought to be, but it was really over the top there, and we had this beautiful colonial church, and there were windows down each side that were clear glass, and the ladies of the church would decorate each of the windows with flower boxes, and it was beautiful and, and grand and great. And the Saturday before Easter, a, a cruise ship docked in Beaufort on the intercoastal waterway, and as a result, a bunch of people on the boat came up and uh, toured St. Helena's while the ladies were putting the flowers together. And a couple uh, that had just gotten off the boat uh, asked one of the ladies, you know, after experiencing the tour, we really would like to come to Easter services tomorrow, but we really didn't come prepared for that. Uh, We didn't think we'd be going to church. So all we really have are clothes that we would wear aboard the ship do you think that would be all right? And the lady looked at them and said, well, it is Easter. And it is St. Helena's. So you might want to think about that. Well, the most damning thing of all in that story is that the woman who told them that was not a parishioner at St. Helena's. She was only expressing what she thought she saw in the midst of that fellowship. And that was an alarm bell for those of us who served on staff. And it's great to wear a suit to church. It's, it's great to dress down for church. But it's not a mark of the church. The mark of the church is what Paul is talking about here about how we care for one another and love one another as brothers and sisters in the same way that the Lord Jesus Christ loves us, by emptying himself completely and laying down our lives for one another. And finally, I know we're past time, but how it is that we relate to God as brothers and sisters— well, rejoice always. If you want a memory Bible verse, there's a pretty good verse. Two words. Rejoice always. First Thessalonians 5, 16. What Paul's talking about here is not happiness but joy. Happiness is determined by circumstance. Joy depends on God. Do you find your joy in happiness or do you find your joy in God? Pray without ceasing. A consciousness of our relationship with God and his presence in our lives. Not just taking a lot of time away to pray, but actually as you go through your daily life, are you conscious of his presence? Do you know he's there? Do you give things up to him as you go throughout the day? And finally, a life at peace. God, I don't understand what's going on around me. The world seems to be falling apart. I seem to be falling apart but I do know you and I know that you love me and that you know me and that you were willing to go to hell and back in order that I might secure salvation and that I might be made a child of the living God and even as the world seems so uncertain there you are on your throne loving me as a heavenly father and around me Brothers and sisters who love me as a brother and as a sister. What a family. What a privilege that God would make us such a people is my prayer. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us for one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.